As Russia suffers setbacks in eastern Ukraine, President Vladimir Putin is calling up reservists to join the war. He's also giving full support to referendums on occupied areas joining the Russian Federation. Could this raise the stakes in the seven-month war? I'm Imran Khan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. In the Russian Republic of Dagestan is Sergei Markov, former Russian MP and public spokesman for President Vladimir Putin. He's now the director of the Institute of Political Studies in Moscow. In Dublin is Danaka Obakan, professor teaching post-Soviet politics at Dublin City University. He's also the author of an upcoming book, The Domestic Politics of Post-Soviet Unrecognized States. And in Vancouver Island is Michael Borsakiu, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and former spokesman for the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. A warm welcome to you all. I'd like to begin in Dagestan with Sergei Markov. Uh, there are two things to discuss here. Let's discuss the first one, this idea that there is this partial mobilization of some nearly 300,000 reservists. That has to be an admission that this invasion of Ukraine was a badly run and a mistake if they were calling up that many people, the largest um, uh, call-up since the Second World War? Uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the reasons of the uh, partial mobilization is the fact that the uh, Russian army on the front are now twice less than Ukrainian army. It's a paradox because a Russian population finds time more than Ukrainian population. Why it so happened is because uh, Russia has just a uh, normal um, uh, army of the uh, peace uh, period, but uh, uh, Ukraine now uh, uh, totally uh, militarized country. Uh, Ukraine now uh, full totalitarian society. And uh, as a result of the level of uh, military mobilization, Ukraine 10 times more than level of military militarization in Russia. So Russia has to uh, change this balance. Uh, that's why uh, Russia now uh, uh, will have three, uh, 300,000 of uh, uh, mobilized soldiers. Additionally to this, now we have uh, about uh, uh, 200,000 of uh, volunteers. Altogether, it will be half of the millions of uh, new uh, soldiers and officers which will go to Ukraine uh, front. And uh, it will give opportunity for Russian army uh, to uh, come back to the uh, offensive uh, and liberation of Ukraine. We regard this war in Ukraine as inevitable because Ukraine doesn't exist as an independent country. In Ukraine, we have puppets Sergei, sorry to disturb you, but you knew all of this seven months ago. You knew what the state of the Ukrainian military was. You knew how much of a challenge it was going to be. Yet you still went in underprepared. You couldn't supply your own troops. This has been a disaster for you. Uh, your question is very reasonable. Frankly speaking, I'm as an analyst. I published a few articles uh, uh, even on March uh, how that uh, Ukrainian army uh, much more strong than we uh, used uh, to think. And uh, uh, it's because uh, Ukrainian regime much more totalitarian as we uh, expected uh, to be. And Russian army should be much more real. But Vladimir Putin uh, uh, made, I think, uh, some uh, mistakes uh, because he made this uh, partial mobilization a little bit later than it uh, uh, should be done uh, because few reasons. One reason, 
he don't want uh, to uh, make this uh, mobilization because he, he wants country to live normal life. And uh, secondly, Vladimir Putin couldn't believe that Western country will fully support terrorists. Uh, now we can see clear nuclear terrorism when the Ukrainian army uh, more than months uh, using artillery and rocket missiles sharing to the Parogia atomic power station. It's clear, 100% nuclear terrorism. And who can believe that United States, Great Britain, European Union countries, all they will support this nuclear terrorism? Vladimir Putin uh, thought too well about, uh, too good about uh, British, Americans and uh, Europeans. Let me, bring in, let me bring in I'm Michael, Michael Borsaker here, who is in Vancouver Island. Do you buy anything that Sergei Markov is saying? Absolutely not. You know, with due respect to Sergei, he should get out of fantasy land, but maybe that's difficult for him because he's probably still on the Kremlin payroll. Look, the only terrorist here is Vladimir Putin. You know, people have to understand that uh, when this so-called special military operation was declared, Putin said he's going to liberate uh, Russian speakers in Ukraine. Well, the most fierce opposition or among the most fierce opposition to this illegal invasion, unjustified invasion, were from Russian speakers in eastern, central and southern parts of Ukraine. Uh, you want to talk about terrorists, uh, go to the Russian soldiers who have burned villages, bombed schools, raped women, children, grandmothers who have committed war crimes on a scale we've never seen before. Uh, the, as for the um, partial mobilization, uh, I think this is a roll of the dice for Mr. Putin. I think it shows his desperation. Uh, it's very, very risky for him uh, domestically because what's going to happen, he's going to just throw more men into this fire. They will come back, sad to say, in boxes and to zip codes in Russia Federation, which have never received them before. Because what, on this type of scale, uh, men are, are going to be called up from key centers of St. Petersburg and Moscow. And the other thing, you know, a lot of Russians, especially middle upper class, have tried to inoculate themselves, ignore this war. But with this uh, huge mobilization, uh, there's no way they can ignore it any further. And one final thing that's going to trigger, uh, the, especially because of the, the um, holding of the illegal sham referendums, is that's a crossing of the red line as far as the international community is concerned. And that will bring even more sanctions on Russia, further pushing them into pariah state status. Uh, Sergey, I'll get your reaction to that in just a second, but I do want to bring in Danako Bakran, who's in Dublin uh, for us. Uh, our guest in Vancouver just mentioned the referendums there. It's the next biggest talking point. They're going to, the Russians want to hold referendums. It's a very simple question. Do you want to um, join the Russian Federation? Now, if those uh, referendums happen, they're likely to begin on Friday. Is that an end to diplomacy? Is this no more diplomatic efforts between Russia and Ukraine? The, the, the whole idea of holding a referenda at this time, or indeed at any time, is, is farcical. It would be, it would be comedic if it, if it wasn't so tragic. I mean, Russia doesn't have even control over the territories that it proposes to have referenda in. Um, these, are, these are occurring during a state of war and of course they're being called at a few days notice and we know well that these results are already known to the Kremlin in advance. This is just uh, to give a veneer of legality to what is an old-fashioned imperialist land grab um, and in terms of liberating uh, Ukraine which was the term that uh, Sergei Markov used, I mean here in Ireland 
which is not a member of a military alliance. We have tens of thousands of people who have fled this liberation and who are giving their, their stories firsthand of what they are fleeing from. A third of the population of Ukraine are now uh, displaced from their homes, all as a result of this imperial aggression. And I tell you, here in Ireland, we know imperialist aggression when we see it. Europe is united as never before. Uh, we heard from Sergei Markov about uh, you know the West supplying Ukraine and aiding Ukraine. The reason why uh, the West is supplying Ukraine and aiding Ukraine is because we have faced this crossroads before in Europe. Uh, the United Nations is meeting at the moment. The United Nations was established because a dictatorship tried to unilaterally change boundaries in Europe by force. And we're seeing that challenge again. And Europe is uniting against Russia. And Russia is feeling the full force of European pressure on this issue. And it will not assuage uh, over time. I know that they're trying to put pressure, of course, on Europe using energy as leverage. But uh, I think they will see as this winter approaches that that will not work either, as it hasn't worked in Ukraine. Uh, Sergei Markov, these referenda are being, uh, are being taking, are taking place rather under uh, the barrel of a gun. Um, they can't be legitimate in any way, shape or form. Why even bother? Uh, it's uh, very easy. Uh, we uh, now in Russia don't care about uh, uh, opinion of the United States and European Union country and, uh, and uh, Great Britain about uh, how uh, well done or uh, badly done uh, referendum. Uh, because we conducted ideal referendum in Crimea in uh, 2014. I've been an uh, uh, observer there, and I saw even, uh, you know, uh, Ukrainian flags, and some, uh, um, some uh, propaganda for the Crimea to be, should be part of Ukraine still. Uh, it was ideal referendum, but nevertheless had been not recognized. Why you should be care about your opinion? Because we know that you are lying every time. And uh, our colleagues told, uh, also express this very well. Everybody knows that Ukrainian army is uh, conducting policy of nuclear terrorism, shelling as the Parosia atomic power station. Everybody knows about this. But nevertheless, Western countries are still supporters. That's why we don't care about Western opinion. But we need to have this referendum because we want citizens of those regions know for sure that it's uh, real, that they have real right to express their view about future of uh, uh, the region. These people who live there, they are Russians. 90% uh, of them speak Russian language. If you may know that ultra-nationalistic uh, uh, repressive Kiev regime prohibited for mm -hmm. them to, to use Russian language in the education system, in media, in official sphere, and uh, so on. That's why they hate this neo-Nazi uh, Kiev regime. That's why okay. they want to joining with Russia all these years. And for sure, of course, they will vote for the uh, rejoining uh, the Russian regions, which can be created by Russian Imperial Yekaterina the Great uh, back to the Russian model. Sergey, it's a, an impassioned defence you've just given us, but I'm going to go to Michael next. Michael, um, the US is really out of options when it comes here. The West is out of options. Russia, like Sergey says, doesn't care. You've done your sanctions, you've, you've put pressure on Russia, yet the war still continues. Sergei's right. There is nothing you guys can do. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to correct uh, Sergei, Sergei's fantasy lines. I've spent a lot of time in Odessa, which is primarily Russian-speaking. I visited Chernihiv, uh, mostly Russian there. And guess what, Sergei? 
all you see on every block in Odessa now are Ukrainian flags. If there's one thing Mr. Putin has managed to do to these areas is he's really stoked up the patriotism there. And finally, on Chernihiv, um, talking about uh, Russians being terrorists, I visited a community on the outside of Chernihiv where a 500-pound bomb was dropped by the Russians in a densely populated settlement, shredded toys, shredded teddy bears in that bomb hole, destroyed homes. I asked people, I looked into their eyes in Russian. I said, who did this? They said, the Russians, number one, what do you need most is rebuilding and salvation from this terrorism. As for the United States and Western allies, uh, Imran, I think what needs to be done immediately is for the administration to grow the spine and finally declare uh, Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. And a big reason for that is exactly what's happening at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. This is uh, nuclear blackmail. This is nuclear terrorism uh, conducted by the Russian Federation, not by the Russians, not by, not by the Ukrainians. It's the Russians who have parked their military vehicles and put ammunition very close to the uh, reactors themselves. You know, it's really sad when you think about it, but the Russians have never learned anything from their stupidity and lying from 1986 in terms of what happened in Chernobyl. When the invasion happened in February, they took over Chernobyl again. What did they do? Dig up contaminated soil, this sort of thing. So it just goes to show how irresponsible they are and how to, you know, when a nuclear disaster, God forbid, happens, it will not only affect Ukraine, it will affect Russia, but it seems the Russians don't care about their own people. Uh, let me bring in Danaka here. Danaka, um, there is precedent to this. There was a referendum in Crimea in 2014. It was criticised widely. There were no independent election observers. It was done, some say, under the barrel of a gun. Is there any legitimacy that the Russians can point to in this new referenda that is actually going to convince anybody? No, absolutely not. And, and that will be illustrated by the fact that you won't find... Uh, any UN member states who will be recognizing this. Um, and going back to Crimea in 2014, which is, of course is a template for this, uh, Sergei Markov, I think, said that it was an, a kind of an ideal type of referendum. And again, that was held uh, under, under duress. It was held during uh, a time of war, and it was, it was held with 10 days' notice. I, I don't, they don't seem to know how to hold referenda. We have a lot of experience of it here in Ireland. These are very laborious processes which take place over time, and you certainly don't do it while occupying a territory. I mean, in Putin's speech today, he was talking about the territorial integrity of Russia, which must be protected. But what the international community is concerned about is protecting the, the, the territorial integrity of, of Ukraine. And that's not uh, something for Russia to decide what the boundaries are, the borders are uh, of, of Ukraine. And to conflate, as Sergei has done, uh, Russian speakers with pro-Russia is ridiculous as saying as that because the majority of people in, in this country here in Ireland speak English, that we're, we're pro-English and English should, should, should come and, and, and reinvade the country. It would be an absurdity. And that's the kind of logic that's been used uh, to take over these regions. And once taking them over, rush through these artificial referenda, which is that have no international uh, legitimacy. Uh, Sergey, I want to bring you in here, but I do want to talk very specifically now about President Vladimir Putin. You used to be his spokesman. He's gone from being a very strong character on the world stage to looking increasingly isolated. He's not at the UN General Assembly, which is taking place right now. He sent his foreign minister. Uh, he's a junior partner now to China, which is now holding a big influence over uh, what the Russians are now doing. Where is Vladimir Putin? Is he seen in Russia as being the strong man that he once was? 
Vladimir Putin, of course, strong man, but nevertheless, he is uh, uh, not a man of the war. He tried to war this war. Uh, a lot of people uh, demand him uh, to uh, send uh, Russian troops uh, uh, in Ukraine uh, in 2014 uh, in the southern and eastern part of Ukraine where Russians are living. And, uh, you know, our colleagues uh, probably uh, partly right that it's uh, to be, uh, to have Russian guidance doesn't mean um, to be especially uh, loyal to Russia and so on. It's a language and uh, uh, countries not uh, uh, should be the same. But the difference is that Russian language is prohibited by Ukrainian authorities. Uh, if uh, you, for example, uh, would live uh, in uh, uh, Canada, and uh, you will see that uh, uh, you will be French speaking and, and French language will be prohibited in Canada, you would be against um, uh, Canadian government as, um, again, as not democratic. Well, that's uh, what we have somebody in Canada. I'm sh let's bring him in again to answer that. Let's get him to answer that. I mean, Michael, you've been sh shaking your head there. Tell me what you think. Well, uh, look, uh, again, I've spent a lot of time recently in Odessa and uh, in Kiev and elsewhere. Russian is widely spoken. And is anyone uh, trampling on their rights, arresting them? No, absolutely not. What you're finding, however, is that because so many residents are realizing what a horrible war this is, again, uh, women and children, grandmothers raped and killed, that this has really triggered a resurgence of patriotism where actually a lot are switching over to Ukrainian. Thank you very much, Mr. Putin. A lot are hoisting Ukrainian flags. Every single block that I've walked in Odessa, and I've walked, uh, you know, tens, tens of kilometers around the city has a Ukrainian flag painted on the buildings, and uh, no one's being persecuted that for that. And listen, I'm a former OSC election observer. I'm a former spokesperson of the OSC in Ukraine, and uh, we we have we have seen what kind of sham referendums the uh, Russians and the Russian-backed thugs in Donetsk and Luhansk are capable of holding. Uh, no one's going to take it seriously. And I think, again, it represents uh, the desperation of Mr. Putin. I don't even think at this point that uh, his voters in Russia will, will take it seriously. It's a, it's a dead-end avenue for him. Danaka, it almost doesn't matter, though, whether anybody in the West takes it seriously. These referendums are going to happen. Uh, they're going to go the way Putin wants them to go. They're going to give him legitimacy, certainly in the eyes of his own people. There's not a huge amount we can do. There's not a huge amount the West can do. There's not a huge amount the world can do, surely. Well, these referenda aren't going to make any difference at all. I mean, they're completely gestural and they're an act of desperation. They're Putin's belated response to the huge territorial gains that the Ukrainian army managed to achieve uh, during the last month, where they, they took back several thousand square kilometers of Ukrainian territory and liberated uh, their people there. So this is this is a response. It's trying to, to take back the narrative, to take back control of the narrative, because this is the first speech of its kind that, that Putin has made to the people in Russia since the beginning of the war. And it's trying to signal to the West uh, again, uh, you know, Putin was saying we're, he's not bluffing and he was again playing the nuclear card. Indeed, our guest today, uh, Sergei Markov, did the same on BBC this morning where uh, Britons woke up to find that they were being threatened again with uh, nuclear strikes. And we've seen on Russian TV here in Ireland uh, 
uh, Ireland and Britain being blown away in simulations of nuclear strikes. So, you know, we, we know what Russia is capable of, but we also know that, uh, and this has been clear over the last seven months. That Sorry, the Dark, I'm going to cut you short. I'm going to cut you short there because we are running out of time. And I do want a very quick response from uh, Sergei Markov. Is anything that you've heard from our guests in Dublin and Vancouver, and you have been critical of Vladimir Putin in the past, is anything you've heard today changed your mind on anything that might be going on right now, including the calling up of the reservists? Uh, so I think that uh, we don't need more territories. Russia is the biggest country in the world. Uh, but we have to protect those people from terror. So our demands for the peace, and Putin, Vladimir Putin read it immediately to stop any military activity, uh, if Joe Biden, who is real, a master of this war, who hate Vladimir Putin, who want to overthrow Vladimir Putin by this Ukrainian war, if Joe Biden agree with very simple thing, first of all, to liberate all dozens of thousands of political prisoners in Ukraine of those politicians who are friendly, what you hate to be friendly to Russia. Secondly, to, to give a Russian language, which is the language of majority of Ukraine, same right as uh, Ukrainian uh, language. It's uh, some kind of protection from uh, violence uh, diversification. Uh, thirdly, to dismiss all terror groups, including, first of all, neo-Nazi groups. Uh, Neo-Nazism should be prohibited. All uh, uh, monumentum to the fascists uh, should be dismissed. All uh, uh, name streets uh, uh, to the name of the fascists should be uh, uh, changed. And uh, also, everybody who is responsible for the war crime and crimes against, right. against humanity are okay. under international uh, investigations in neutral countries. We have actually run out of time, but I do want to thank all our guests, Sergei Markov, uh, Danaka Obakan, and Michael Borsakiu. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin N., Kara Legg, Fungi Enwin, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was provided by Yara Atalla, and the program was edited by Ahmed Etfaga, Lynn Enwin, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday. Hi there. This is Halim Ahiyadzin, and in this week's episode of our podcast, The Take, we hear about black farmers in the United States purchasing agricultural land for their community to combat a growing food crisis. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.